These days, AI can help you learn the patterns that are not seen by the human eye and based on millions of signals about the digital behavior to detect fraudsters. Quite a few years now, the holy grail has been all about capturing data from different sources. Could be your CRM, could be digital campaigns, essentially any source out there that helps a company connect with their customer as well as their prospective customers. Anything that will help you connect with them in a personalized, individualized way. That's what every company out there has been after for quite some time now. But nobody really wants to talk about how the sausage is made because people like the end result, but to get there, it's quite a journey. So nobody really wants to talk about it. If you do want to know how the sausage is made, you probably want to talk to the chef. Here today with us, we have a very special guest, one of the data chefs here in the Czech Republic in Europe. David Vopelk is here with us today. David, would you mind introducing yourself? Thanks a lot, Ivan. It's a pleasure being here. So thanks all for the invite. I'm David. I'm from Data Sandix, and uh, we are actually helping a lot of the enterprises across the Europe, accelerating them in the field of data and how they are using them to grow their business. And my past has been in uh, Erste Group, and I've been working for nearly a decade there, trying to leverage the digital transformation from many angles, helping in marketing, sales, and data-driven areas. And uh, it's been always my passion since the beginning, and uh, mm -hmm. I was always on the brink of uh, the business and the IT, which in my example means uh, more things around data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I've been always on the brink of business problems and the data and uh, AI that can help them solving them. You know, a, a very quick look at your LinkedIn profile tells me that you obviously have quite a lot of experience in financial services and in banking. But, you know, that as a field itself is quite interesting. I'm just wondering what kind of sparked your interest. In, I mean, why did you get into that in the first place? I guess in financial services, you have a lot of data. Uh, it's a very mm -hmm. matured industry, a lot of customers. And mm, of course, more data you have, the more advanced uh, you can be in terms of data techniques and how to leverage the data. Natively, it let me, my, my passion in data and, and solving the business problem, that kind of led me to this industry. Of course, there are a couple other industries where it's uh, very similar, like, for example, e-commerce or some large-scale retail businesses. But uh, somehow the FSI, especially in Europe, it's a very fragmented industry. So maybe that's a field that uh, needed to be accelerated the most. So mm -hmm. that's how I happened to work in this industry. You're a data problem solver. That's what kind of led you to an industry like that like FSI. Yeah, exactly. So I always wanted to use some smart people, uh, turn the data into something valuable for both the customers and also the, the clients we are working for. Right. One of the kind of very typical, very standard data challenges that we see across our clients, it, it has to do a lot with marketing automation or digital marketing, if you'd like. So I'm just wondering if you've experienced the same and if you see any kind of specific links between data and uh, digital marketing. Exactly. So this is what we see in the market, yeah, that uh, the data is the elephant in a room that nobody wants to talk about. Everyone talk about use cases mm -hmm. and uh, companies like Google, Salesforce, they are pushing the market really hard. They are bringing the new use cases, trying to really help you leverage the data. That's the great job they are doing. On the other hand, during the implementation, if you put garbage in, you mm -hmm. get the garbage out. So companies often are forgetting about the data. And this is a mistake that uh, backfire in the future quite a lot. I guess for, for companies like yours and ours, that's part of the job, right? Is to, to make sure that there's way more cases where people actually focus on the input as well as the output, right? And let's kind of zoom into marketing automation specifically. Mm -hmm. 
Is there, I would say, a client or a use case, something that's really top of mind for you? When I say digital marketing, when I say data, what comes to mind? What we see in the market, most of the FSI companies these days, they are trying to rethink the way how they communicate to the customers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the Salesforce has done great deal in this area. The companies like Salesforce help the customers see the omnichannel strategies, see it really from the customer's perspective and not from the perspective of the products or interests of the banks and the insurance companies. Th- this has been changing a lot, but all the large companies, they're struggling because the data so far, it's been used for reporting, for regulatory purposes and it's only been in the last couple of years when the people are coming in and asking for data insights, trying to find out the new insights based on which they can create some new communication strategies and mm-hmm. uh, basically engage their customer in a more relevant way. That, that's something that I think we see as well. There's one thing that I think everybody sees and that's, I would say, the king of all the buzzwords right now and that's artificial intelligence. Usually when I try to think about artificial intelligence, I get stuck. I go down this path of Googling things and finding different definitions and explanations and use cases. But now I have an opportunity to ask the data chef about AI specifically. So in terms of digital marketing, what's your definition of AI and do you see a practical use case for it? Yeah, so many companies see AI as the solution to all their data problems. It's quite opposite. It just brings more and more data problems they need to solve. This is a common misunderstanding yeah, that uh, companies think, yeah, we have data, we've been struggling with uh, keeping them in a high quality. We've been struggling providing uh, and working closely with the business. So yeah, let's add a couple pounds of uh, AI and it will solve our pains. It's quite the opposite. Yeah, it makes just things much more harder for you. And it's it's fun thing to say uh, if we are, like our business is helping companies develop AI solutions, right? But I think that's the pain the companies are feeling, yeah? That AI is just another way how you can extract some information from the data and work with data in a more scalable and efficient way rather than using them for some if this then that kind of approaches. It comes with a cost, yeah? So AI... It's not a common competence in the world. Yeah, people are not getting out of universities being experts on AI. There is a long way. The companies need to invest a lot in uh, building their AI competence. And there is no silver bullet to this. Yeah, The companies need to find their own way. They need to find their own potential champions in their own company. They need to hone the talent. They need to work with the people. They need to plug in some external know-how. They need to start from the people perspective. And often the companies forgets about it. They just buy a couple pounds of AI solutions and they think their problems are gone. And it's quite opposite. Yeah. So if, if the company really wants to turn AI into some value, they need to think of uh, AI as a, just another shovel yeah, that helps you work with data much faster in some ways. And there's no shortcut to it. Yeah. I would really love to get an example out of you of a company that actually leveraged AI in a smart way Yeah, so we have a couple of customers that I can even mention. Yeah, it's, uh, for example, Isure in UK. They've been great customers of us and we really clicked together. Been working with them for a couple of years now. And uh, they are very matured in the way how they see the AI. They have the leaders, they have the ability to hire the talents and they have the will to go to the business people, talk to them, understand the business problem and then basically spending most of the time talking with the business about their problems. Then just the 20% of the time, it's actually developing the AI, creating some model, training some algorithms, deploying them, making them run efficiently in production. That's 
that's just the easy part. <laughs> yeah, that's the technical things that there is a lot of knowledge about. For example, Isher, it's been the customer who really started from the business problem. And even internally, their internal team, they started to go to the business people, try to identify problem, and they were able to yield some benefits. And one of the flagship uh, use cases we we've been doing with them was, uh, for example, fraud detection. Yeah, So it's actually a nice use case. You want to prevent fraudsters having uh, active contact with you, and you need to detect them. And to detect the fraudster, uh, of course, there are some expert tools that have been created over decades in the industry. But these days, AI can basically help you learn the patterns that are not seen by the human eye, and you can derive the patterns from the data. We help them uh, leverage the digital footprint of the customer, how he is uh, going through the online processes and digital processes. And based on the millions of signals about the digital behavior, we were able to detect and learn the patterns of the fraudsters. And therefore, we were much more successful in uh, finding the fraudsters and therefore saving a lot of money in the prevention of a fraud. Right, right, right. right. Well, well, now I have to ask you, what does a typical fraudster do? Can you maybe give us a mm-hmm. pattern if mm-hmm. you happen to remember one? Sounds <laughs> super. And maybe I'm trying to self-identify. I don't know. So, you know, feel free to tell us a bit more. Yeah, so (laughs) that's the thing with AI. It often just confirms the things that you thought are real. Typical fraudster, they spend very little time on a confirmation page, you know, checking the information they put in into some form. They just don't spend on and they don't pay much attention to this kind of things. Yeah, so... Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, but uh, here is the trick. Yeah, if you would use this information on its own, you would do a bad decision because there are some non-fraudsters. They are actually, you know, they are a little bit careless. They don't pay much attention. They just fill it in and and they are done with it. But you need to combine this information with many other informations to create a pattern. And this is where the AI comes into place because human eye can only work with a couple of informations and a couple of combinations. Uh, I think it's like seven things you can, can yeah, have in your yeah, yeah. mind. Yeah. It's, uh, it's seven plus minus two. If I go back to my psychology studies, that's yeah. the magic number. <laughs> so it's a range between five and nine mm-hmm. and uh, you know mm-hmm. above that or you know below that threshold, mm-hmm. just forget about it. And the AI, it can handle hundreds of different layers and combination of hundreds of things. It's, it's much more powerful in detecting the actual pattern. So one example can be If I combine the speed and the duration on a confirmation page, if I combine it with the who the customer is, from which region he is, which kind of car he is trying to get insured, if I combine it with a previous product history, if I combine it with uh, his uh, type of device he has, if I combine it with any kind of data I have about him, then I can derive the pattern. And I would never succeed by looking at the data by my own eyes. Right. Well, here's what everybody wants to know. So you said type of device. So would this be, you know, the uh, iOS versus Android conversation? Is that what it is? Yeah, it's one example of what you can, uh, what information you can have about the customers. Of course, it can be much more granular. It can go all all the way to the specific version of the iOS, can go uh, all the way uh, to a specific uh, screen resolution and specific model of the device and so on. So there is a, really a lot of data you can uh, store about your customers. And of course, this this leads us to the, let's say, this uh, privacy question. And it's a, it's a far question to, to handle. And especially AI, uh, in the last decade, it was more about exploring what AI can do. And this decade, what we see in the market, it's much more around the AI ethical dimension. Yeah? So mm-hmm. what we should use AI for is it actually helping the good cause? Is it helping the customer? Is it helping the business? Or it's exploiting the customers? So there is a very thin line between this. It's becoming a big topic. European Union trying to regulate the AI. And uh, honestly, 
I, th- I think it's a good direction. And like many things uh, coming from the European Union, the implementation will will be a little bit of struggle, but uh, the direction overall is 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 important. That actually begs another question. You know, let's call the AI just an algorithm, right? So you feed it more data sources, it becomes more powerful, it learns, it gets better at predicting. But is there a human involved in any step of the way or is it ultimately completely automated? Yeah, so there are multiple philosophies, I would say. And our philosophy is more like the AI is just another tool for human to be more productive, more efficient. Yeah, so we believe there has to be human, always. The question is how much he needs to be involved and in which part of the process. So what we see in the most matured customers, we see that they have uh, their own AI data teams. They are spending the time on interpreting the algorithms rather than training them. Because the training process, you can develop some frameworks, you can develop some things that help you do it more efficiently, more frequently. They can help you productionize the models and so on. So you solve this and you create some tooling that helps you go much faster. But the important thing is to save the time of the data scientists and AI developers to actually understand why the model is behaving, why the model is telling this guy is a fraudster. And this is a whole new area and it's called like uh, explainable AI and this is a big deal for all the companies yeah so the time of the black box algorithm that just predicted something and people went and just believe it this time is gone now it's all about interpreting the AI why the AI is recommending me to decide that for example this guy is a fraudster or this guy is a very good fit for another product or some kind of campaign it's all about explaining why the algorithm is deciding I have a very natural response to seeing any kind of marketing material online that says data-driven. It's a pet peeve of mine. It automatically annoys me when I see data-driven because my understanding as a non-professional has always been that these kind of algorithms or even the way you structure your business, it's supposed to be data-informed with a human at the end making the call. But for marketing purposes, almost every startup that I see and I do follow quite a lot of them, almost everybody goes with data-driven. And I'm very annoyed by this, very, very annoyed, and I don't know why. So is this kind of an ethical explanation? Is that what's needed here? Or is it the way that we think about AI is fundamentally wrong? What would you say? I think it's more a question of how the entire business and industries work. Yeah, because there are some trends. Companies want to invest into some trends and they are expecting to get some return in a couple of years, maybe in five, ten years. And by the time they are investing, they don't actually know what they are investing in. So, of course, for the sake of sales process, for the sake of establishing you in a business, you need to simplify. And often the companies simplify that they say, yeah, I have this product, but it's now AI driven and that's why you should talk to me. And it's much more nuanced than that. But for the sake of sales process, on one hand, I hate it, I hate it myself as well here yeah, because I kind of see that the difference to reality is so big. But on other hand, I can understand that for the sake of sales process, for the matchmaking between the companies who can solve the problems of other companies having the problems, I think for the matchmaking process, there needs to be some simplification. I kind of learned to live with that. If the mystery continues, why you are helping the customer by AI, that's the problem. Okay, so so for me then, what I'm hearing is from a sales or marketing perspective, you have to live with data-driven because you can easily digest it and communicate it. It's a hook. You get people's attention, but then ultimately the goal is to kind of switch their mindset a bit and say, hey, in fact, in, in actuality, this will be a data-informed decision-making process. Exactly. 
Okay, so that's hugely beneficial to me and I'm, I'm sure for the audience as well. Maybe one question about uh, this client that you mentioned, uh, the issuer company there in the UK. You said that they're very mature when it comes to dealing with AI projects and just the expectations and kind of starting at the business level. Were they always this way or did you have to kind of help them become AI mature? I would say everyone is learning every day and it's important that uh, everyone keeps on learning every day. So, of course, they, they've been improving their competence and growing their competence during the cooperation, but they were ambitious and they had uh, the potential from the day one. So this is what we see in many of our customers. Our cooperation works only with the customers that are willing to invest into building the competence. Customers who wants to just get the things solved, we have never been able to cooperate in a long term because the biggest value from cooperating with us, it's a relationship and we help them grow the competence over the time. We, of course, uh, help them deliver and solve the particular problems as we go, but we solve them as one team. And over the time, the customer builds his internal team. He focuses us on more, let's say, engineering things and frameworks, or maybe he focuses us on the parts where he is struggling to hire own people into his own team. And this is how we believe it's the only way with the data. Because the data, it has to be the first part of thing for the customer. It has to be his internal ability to leverage the data to improve their business. And there is no shortcut. Yeah. So I haven't mm -hmm. seen a customer succeed by outsourcing the data competence to someone else. So it's all about growing together. And we just like to learn a thing or two. And we just uh, like the, to work with the customers who wants to learn every day, explore the new areas of AI and uh, all this industry. But that's actually, that's a perfect segue into what I wanted to touch with you first is um, kind of the do's and don'ts. I think what you just described there is a perfect example of, you know, how to actually deliver these projects together jointly as a joint team. But what about things that a client definitely should not do? I think that's way more interesting as well for the audience. What are the things that you should definitely not do at all when dealing with uh, data? There are a lot of things and we are seeing them every day. And it's actually our job to help the customers realize that maybe they are not uh, doing the uh, ideal decisions. Yeah, But at the end of the day, it's their decisions, right? So we cannot take their uh, responsibility for that. There are a lot of decisions being taken every day and we, we we see a lot of decisions that we don't believe are right. And I can just give you a couple of examples. We've seen, um, especially in banking and in insurance companies, they are very matured in terms of IT development, in terms of uh, data development and so on. So they were even that confident that they start to build their own data platforms and Actually, they start to compete with the specialized company like Databricks or Snowflake. These are the world fastest growing data companies in the world. Yeah? And they are like setting the new paradigm in the world. And we've seen banks and insurance companies trying to fight with them and trying to develop something better than those specialized companies focusing only on these things. And we were like, guys... We don't think this is going to succeed yeah? because look, they have a funding, they are focused on this one thing, but you, you are an insurance company, you are a bank, you have different priorities. You need to align to the, you need to adjust to the changes in the industry. You need to adjust to, uh, you know, fintechs growing. You need to adjust in Google and uh, Facebook taking in, uh, trying to seize the market here. The, you need to adopt to the regulations, to the privacy. These are your things the, you should focus on and you shouldn't try to reinvent the wheel in a field of data platforms and these technological things. And it sounds weird, but you would, uh, you would be surprised how many companies are 
are trying to build their own platforms and compete with these main players. It's it's been always a big uh, black hole for for mm-hmm. money and the amounts that the customers are able to invest into such purely technical projects that are completely not their primary business. You would be surprised how many how many uh, budgets or how much money is being flowing there. Is it kind of this overconfidence? What do you think is the main driver behind this? Is it people trying to hold on to their jobs, being afraid of you know getting pushed out of their fields by these global platforms? What's the main kind of reasoning you think? Here I can just speculate a little bit. The overconfidence is one thing. Second thing could be they just love the solution, not the problem. Yeah, they love mm. the technological part. Honestly, with all the open source massively ruling the world, all the hype around the IT, all the hype around the digitization, all these things, it's just feeding their hunger to focus on technical things and forget about the problems they are trying to solve by the technical things. I would assume that's this and in combination with overconfidence and of course in combination with the economical situation in the world. They had, companies just have the money and so they need to invest somewhere. So <laughs> this is just one of the bets they are doing. Uh, maybe it will fail in the large scheme of things for the bank to waste, I don't know, 20 million euros. It's not a big deal. And you kind of coming in into this conversation as a, as a data supplier, essentially, as a data consultant how do you navigate this are you okay to work with kind of their own tool that they're developing or are you still actively pushing this kind of global platform on one hand we started as a consulting company so we were this data boutique trying to help our customers navigate in this fast changing ai data landscape and this was what was interesting for us to help the customers navigate help them do better decisions But at the end of the day, when they made some decision, they needed to deliver something. So we started to help them with the delivery. Then, of course, it led us to the f- to the part where the delivery was not fast enough. We were trying to find out some ways to make the delivery much faster. So we invested and uh, built our small solution accelerators slash data products, you could call it. And this is how we are trying to find ways how to accelerate our customers, because our customers is always the large enterprises. And they have their own internal data team, so they just need a components. They don't need a box solution to solve all their problems. So we were trying to just some data products that helps them go faster. And at the end of the day, it's this nice blend between data and AI consulting, expertise in the latest technologies like Databricks and Snowflake and uh, Azure Cloud, AWS Clouds and so on. And uh, a little bit of uh, some solutions and accelerators and data products from our side. Based on this, we are always trying to find the best combination for each of our customer. And we don't have the silver bullet for everything, but uh, yeah, we are trying to stay on top of the game and try to help our customers. It sounds like the only thing you really expect is this kind of willingness to uh, come in and learn every day, essentially, if I may quote you there. We can talk about the test and learn approach, which you like deploying as well. Can you maybe just explain this a little bit? What do you mean by the uh, test and learn approach? All the cooperations with our customers, it's basically a relationship and it's long-term cooperations. And it always needs to start with something tangible yeah, because we need to kind of prove ourselves to the customer and it's completely fair. So we always try to start with the small things, uh, do some prototype, quickly fail, quickly reinvent s- something else, quickly refocus. And this uh, this agile mindset, yeah, it, it, this agile is uh, another buzzword, right? But uh, I think there is there is some something in it. And this agile mindset is very important, especially in the data area, because in data area, you need to, you need to very quickly iterate, iterate between data data development with the data people and the business problems. And Agile is even more important in the data area 
than maybe in other areas like software development and application development and so on because of this need of quick iterations between business and data people and really super fail fast approach and honestly especially in FSI many customers are saying that they are ready to go with this philosophy but they are just saying it <laughs> one thing is to say that you want to be agile you want to fail fast the second thing is actually do it actually put some money on the table do some POC do some project for I don't know 10k 20k euro and call it a fail yeah so many customers are not able to do that uh, yet they are telling everywhere that they are agile but this is at the end what differentiates the customers the ones who really wants to be agile who really wants to learn and iterate and learn fast and the companies who are just saying it for the sake of be interesting. Well, if we can kind of shift a little bit and uh, think about digital marketing specifically, is there a link there between test and learn and the way people map out their customer journeys? It's been actually very close to to myself because I've, I've been uh, leading the digital marketing uh, for many years and uh, I was always one foot in the digital marketing area, one foot in the data area. There, there is definitely a link, but over the years I realized the biggest gap and biggest problem that makes the silos in the companies, the silos of data teams and silos of digital marketing teams. It's not actually the technologies. It's not even the processes. It's actually the people. The people say the same words. They say the same buzzwords. Both parties, they imagine a different thing behind them. So this this was the biggest pain point. And honestly, to bring those two kinds of people, the marketing people who are thinking about the, about the, about the needs of the end customers and how can they attract them, how, how they can be uh, more relevant. On the other hand, you have the data people who are just thinking about how to deploy the algorithms so it doesn't fail. Yeah, so it's right. completely different mindset and it's very hard. So only way is to really start with the problem and then make those people cooperate and over a couple of use cases, over a couple of uh, months, years, those people will learn to cooperate with each other. We, we talked about, you know, fail quickly and then it might take months. That kind of sounds like it's a another tricky situation to find yourself in. Yeah, it's about failing fast, go step by step, but in the same time, you need to be honest with yourself that to change the way the company is uh, collaborating and behaving, this is not a thing for uh, one month or six months. And if some companies are telling you that, yeah, let's put the people together to squads or product teams and they will perfectly cooperate together. Yeah, we, we've seen this happening and the people don't understand each other and it just leads to frustration right. on both parties. So it really needs much more time. And it actually needs some, maybe some external help, like we are trying to provide to our customers. Maybe we can be the ones trying to translate between both parties, setting some examples, bringing some best practices, bringing in some use cases, some social accelerators, bringing the things that we've seen somewhere else. This is one part of solution. Another part is, of course, to hire the people who wants to reinvent themselves. And of course, they need to have the support from the management. Now, just a go team kind of email, right? Yeah. This is quite interesting to me because when I think of you, I think, you know, this is a data expert, but actually it sounds like your core expertise is communication. That's what I'm learning today. If you have different people using the same words to describe essentially different things, yeah, that's a communication challenge that needs to be fixed first and foremost. 
I'm just thinking, you know, maybe there's an example there that you can share with us, I would say a client or a project where you were actually able to convince people to get them to buy into this initiative. For example, we had a client in UK and at the beginning they thought that uh, they have already this uh, cross-functional uh, modern product team combining data experts, combining marketing experts, communication experts, customer journey designers and so on. They thought they have it. And we actually believed them at the beginning. But uh, over the couple of months, the thing that we believed them, it led us to a very tricky situation. Because we, for example, were assuming that when we say we develop, for example, 200 attributes, and this will then power the personalized communication, we were assuming that they know what we mean. And we were assuming they know how to use it. And it took us six months to find out that they are not able to use it because they don't know how. And they were using just three or four attributes out of those 200. And the company invested so much effort into building all those 200. And they realized it after six months. So then we kind of said to ourselves, okay, so it's not that hot with the data maturity here. So guys, let's go two steps back and let's really sit together and go use case by use case and let's really work together and don't assume that we understand each other. Wow. And that's six months into this collaboration. That's a hard message to pass to a client. Yeah, so so of course we are not selling this, but uh, this is what uh, the client realized after six months. Yeah, that he okay, okay, this is important. So it was the client themselves mm-hmm. who came to the conclusion. Yeah, I'm just you don't have to mention names, right? But I'm curious, did the collaboration survive this pivotal moment? That's the best thing, yeah, because if you survive the hard times, it only strengthens the bond between the people, the the suppliers and vendors. Yeah, so uh, we are cooperating with them till today and they went uh, really far in shifting their mindset. Yeah, so nowadays they're much more connected between business and data people. They are much more able to understand each other. They have moved from fixing the data problems into actually trying to find new things in the data, get inspired by data and not just for data people, but also for the marketing and communications people. So they went this journey. But it took them this hard moment at the beginning when they need to realize that, okay, guys, we really don't understand each other. Even though we are the same team, the same buzzwords, terms, we don't get each other. So they they need to refocus on fixing the team first and then yeah, the processes and technologies. That, that, that's an easy one to follow up with, right? Exactly. Right. Okay. These words. I kind of want to go back to something you mentioned, which was the whole topic of essentially inspiring clients to build their own internal data teams. Well, this obviously requires a large pool of talent in the first place where you actually can go and recruit people from. So how have you seen this develop over the past few years? Uh, What's the current trend? Do you think there's enough talent here in the Czech Republic? Maybe if you don't mind, maybe you could compare this to a more of a EMEA slash Europe-wide sample as well. Actually, even our founder, Peter Bednarik, he founded the data syntics on uh, one interesting thing, and that's that here in Czech Republic, there are several very technical universities that are producing highly technical and highly expert people. And it's quite a unique situation. So the idea is that we are in a good geographical position, eh, right in the middle of Europe. We have a good uh, universities from the technical perspective, but the people, they are pure technical people and they are very far from actually solving some business problems. 
and this was one of the fundamentals that our company was founded on, that we really wanted to become this center of excellence for the whole Europe and combine our situation in our market where we have really strong technical people growing every day, graduating from the universities, but they don't have the clue about the business. And on the other hand, in Europe, there is this situation where the people are extremely expensive The mandatory rates are going through the roof. The experts are fully booked and the companies uh, need to invest into data competence. This was one of our ideas to bridge this gap by creating this hub of data experts in uh, in the middle of Europe and serve the countries across the Europe and solve the pains on both sides. Sounds like common sense, right? Is what most of these kind of data experts are missing. So how do you actually teach someone mm-hmm. common sense in a, in a business context, of course? How do you do that? We had to start with ourselves, yeah. So the thing I said before about business people and data people communicating to each other, this is a big thing also for us. Yeah? So we are constantly trying to blend the business and data people together. So in our company, we have this young talents, very technical people, great people. But on the other hand, we are blending them with uh, more senior consultants who has a different background, especially from the industry or from some consulting or from some marketing domains and so on. And only by this blending, we are able to prepare the technical people that are growing here in Czech market. We are able to prepare them for the big things in a global scale. And that's one of the strategies what is uh, very exciting about us and actually to achieve this strategy that's why we have joined the atos the global as uh, global social integrator worldwide yeah this this hundred thousand people company focusing on it that was the reason why we've joined them to really live up to this uh, mission All right well let me ask you this then so i guess the assumption there is that you take somebody who's technically very sound and you expose them to people from the business side and over time they develop they blend those two worlds together can you take somebody who comes from the business side but is lacking technically and achieve the same result so <laughs> of course it's much harder in our case because at the end of the day we are being paid for the actual delivery of something some some projects some use cases some measurable impacts so to do it the opposite way it's much harder but i think we are trying to create this modern type of consultants who have some level of data competence who at least understand the ai and data problems yet they remain the business people focused on focused on this cost-benefit perspective, looking at the things, being able to prioritize, being able to do the strategic bets. But uh, I think what world needs is these new people who have both competence of the business thinking and the technical part. If I had to imagine myself becoming a technical expert in the field of data, I mean, that's a long shot. I'm just kind of wondering, you know, if you see the market develop in a way where there's a kind of a focused effort on in-housing data teams versus working with external teams. How do you see the market develop from this perspective? Most of our customers, and maybe it's biased because uh, because of uh, the customers we are working with, right? We are working with enterprises. They have a lot of data, so they have the opportunity to invest into building the data and AI competence, right? But what we see is this massive trend of in-housing. So they want to have the competence inside. They just need some people to accelerate their internal teams, accelerate them in a field of growing the competence, in a field of uh, solving some data problems, like migrating some data from place A to place B to the modern technologies, growing the technical expertise, getting grips with the latest technologies like Databricks and so on. And they need some use cases to prove some value Not in six months, but in a couple, couple of weeks or uh, one or two months. 
it's all about in-housing these days and it's not just about hiring their people because then they are in a position they have the people but they are not able to develop and educate the people right because to kind of quote you again you said it's about you know everyday learning yeah Exactly. And to, to learn, you need to have someone who kind of inspires you, who is to some extent a role model for you, who is bringing some best practices from elsewhere. And this is a very important ingredient. And we see a lot of customers appreciating us that we can bring this to their internal teams. It almost sounds like you need a new data problem to solve, right? To get kind of inspired and excited and think of ways to, to solve it. So what do you think is kind of this up and coming future huge data challenge that will come down to these markets here and companies will basically hear the buzz about? What do you mm. think that is? Feel free to speculate. Again, totally safe environment to speculate. I think the big buzzword in the data area is definitely a data mesh concept. It's nicely capturing what we have been basically talking all time, yeah? that it's not about just the technology, it's it's not about just the processes and use cases. It's actually about the people in bringing and blending different people together so they can understand each other and they can help efficiently and in a very productive way. And the data mesh concept, it's a thing that someone finally gave it a name, so I'm really glad. <laughs> and it helps our business much more easy these days because we can say that uh, we are helping uh, our customers live the data mesh a little bit more and uh, get to the stage that they are living the data mesh concept. But this is a big thing. Yeah? One thing is to have some concept, but another thing is to turn it into reality. So data-driven data mesh, is that a buzzword we should be looking out for? Yeah, I hope data-driven is <laughs> 2010 to 2020. Okay, and, okay. And now it's now it's going to be data mesh and hopefully the people will be part of the equation much more than just tools and algorithms. So to be super transparent, data mesh, it's a new thing for me. So it sounds like we might have to bring you back in for another episode and just uh, focus on data mesh, coupled with a couple of real-life examples when we when we get there. Happy to join. Fantastic. Um David, thank you for your time. Thanks for thanks for joining the show. Hope this was fun for you. It was definitely fun for me and I think it's going to be fun for the episode audience as well. Thank you for your time. Thanks a lot, everyone. Thanks a lot, everyone, for listening. Thanks for joining the show. Subscribe to the feed. There'll be more good content coming shortly. And in the meantime, if you want to find out more, you can just look up bizwords.com and yes, there'll be a link in the show notes. Bizwords, powered by Mind to Flow.